Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a man you may know best from his time playing at Eastern Michigan University, a school near and dear to my heart. Of course, now he's the head coach of the Baylor women's tennis team. Welcome on to the show, Coach Joey Scrivano. Coach, how are you doing today? Oh, it's a great day, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it is a pleasure to have you. And I see you've just shifted. You've added a yellow to the green and white. So you're staying loyal to the colors. Absolutely. There's nothing like the uh, green and gold. Yeah, so. no, I, I was going to say we could do 15 minutes on Ypsilanti. Like I, that's a, that <laughs> is a place near. So random note, I in college, so I went to Michigan, but I worked for Congresswoman Debbie Dingell while there and her office was in Ypsilanti. And so I mm-hmm. made that drive three times a week. And just again, I know that's an intimate community. I, I It is always nice to see, you know, players uh, continue from their college career into the coaching ranks. And so my first question to you is obviously it's been a lifetime in college tennis. What keeps drawing you back to the sport yeah well I, I think initially it was just the you know it was it was another opportunity to um just keep you know coaching and being around the sport i mean you know you go from this transition of uh playing college tennis to you know hey i love this i'm passionate about it how can i just stay in it so that's why i got into coaching and eventually you know it really hit me that this was uh, a passion of mine and uh, I really love to to help athletes grow um, so that's what keeps me going you know mm-hmm. just creating that environment where where athletes can learn and grow and and be the best uh, they can be I'm curious what was the culture shock because I believe you grew up in Canada and obviously near the eastern you know near eastern Michigan I'm sure that's part of the reason you end up there but what was the expectation you had for American college tennis? And again, is that environment replicable or replicated, I suppose, in any other aspect of the sport? Like, I, I just think college tennis is so unique in the broader tennis environment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I came to tennis late. Um, so I was about 14 when I started to play and uh, I had no idea about college tennis uh, initially. I just fell in love with the game and, and how challenging it was. So ultimately, once I you know, found out that you could actually uh, play in college, you know, get a scholarship that became my goal. Um, so thankfully I got to a good enough level that, uh, Frank Polito at Eastern Michigan gave me an opportunity and, uh, 
And, you know, I'm forever grateful for that opportunity because that was uh, such a terrific time of my life, you know, just playing four years of college tennis and, and, um, and yeah, it's, it's, we're very, very fortunate as tennis players in this country to have this opportunity. And it's, uh, it's amazing, um, you know, how many tennis players take advantage of it here in the U S where, you know, as you know, internationally, a lot of players don't think you know, don't see this opportunity the same way. Uh, it's really like winning the lottery. If you can play college tennis, I, I don't know of a better setup where you have this team around you that can help you really, you know, reach your potential and do great things. It's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And having just traveled down to Waco, getting to be, you know, travel around the two, uh, the campus and see the facilities, see everything you guys are putting into your tennis programs at Baylor. Uh, yeah, it really is, you know, I suppose this is a free plug, but it really is second to none. And, you know, it's incredible to me. And let me just say, this is not just, you know, buttering you up here at the start of the interview. It does not look like it should be your 20th year at the Hellman Baylor entering this season. I would not believe that if you told me that superficially, but of course, this is year 20 for you. Two decades at Baylor. Before we get into the nuances of 2021 and the 2022 season, just what does that fact mean to you? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's surreal to think about, you know, 20 seasons. Um, yeah, it's it's just been an incredible journey and I'm thankful that it's continuing and um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still as passionate as I was 20 years ago. Uh, I absolutely love uh, coming to the office every day and, and, and more so going, getting on the court with the players. Uh, I tell my wife all the time, you know, when, when the moment comes that I don't enjoy being on the court with the players and, and having that, that real, horizontal relationship where it's you know give and take then then i probably know i need to to do something else mm-hmm. no and you know with that perspective in mind you guys have had some incredible seasons during your tenure 2008 2011 you guys make ncaa final fours you've won conference titles and you know you look at last year obviously covid plays a role at the start of the season it's a funky fall for everyone but 23 and 5 overall four of your losses are to national champions texas what was the season like last year i I just i can't imagine again having that much success and yet having that foe like it must have been an interesting year yeah i mean if you do this uh long enough you're going to experience a lot of different things and um yeah you know our team was absolutely incredible i mean we were top 10 uh the majority of the season and uh, I'm, I'm just so proud of our athletes. Um, they just really, you know, gave everything they had. And um, and they had, coming out of COVID, I think they had a lot of gratitude. And uh, they, they really appreciated the opportunity to compete and play and just have fun, you know. And, and I think that's the gift that COVID gave a lot of athletes is um, just that perspective of, you know, we're playing a game. This, this, is, this is pretty darn good. Life's good. So, um, yeah, I can't say enough about the athletes and, and the effort they put in last year. And yeah, and you know, Texas had a great team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can hold our head pretty high. They had a dream team. They had a dream season. They had one of the best seasons in the history of college tennis. And and uh, we gave them everything they could take. And, it, you know, sometimes it, it just works out like that. So um, really proud of our team, though, ultimately. 
Yeah, no, it was a fantastic season, and I want to get into the weeds of that season. I want to start with this, with a congratulations, and I'm sure I would love to hear what is he about to congratulate me for. You've set the record, Coach. 17 doubles pairings last year. That's the high (laughs) of all the Power 5 coaches I've spoken to thus far. And I'm curious, obviously, the lack of the fall, the lack of the plethora of fall competing opportunities, you don't get as many chances to play doubles pairings. But what leads to a 17 number? Is that you looking for combinations? Is that a fit thing? Is that a let's get everyone acclimated to the system? I'm sure it's all of the above, but give me the story behind 17. Yeah. Gosh, I did not know that. Um, <laughs> I, I tell, you know, young coaches all the time, you know, you're going to make five decisions throughout the year that are really, really can impact um, your season. Um now I'm going to tell them you might have to make 17 decisions uh, to, that it might impact your season. But ultimately, I think, you know, there was just so many things out of our control, you know, players that, um, you know, had some bumps and bruises and then some that some chemistry. And there, there was just a lot of, as you know, there's just so many variables. And I think the there's two ways to do this. You know, one is just stick with your what you got and, and you know, pretty much just um, – you know, be very, you know, structured in that way and just let, just, you know, stay the course. Um, but there's also, you know, there's something to just flexibility and uh, thinking outside the box. And um, I'll, I don't remember all the combinations, but I do remember late in the season, we finally felt like, oh gosh, we, we, we figured it out. We, we got the perfect combinations and um, it was such a work in progress, and, and uh, I'm glad that we did it. I'm glad that we were willing to keep shuffling the deck and, and trying different things. Mm-hmm. Are you someone, and I know it's a balance between the two, but you know, I was talking to Coach Audra Cohen at Oklahoma a little bit earlier, and she really stressed she likes to find continuity in pairings. And once she thinks she finds something in a pairing, she's going to let them work through mistakes, but that's what she searches for first. Obviously, yeah. in doubles now, we can get into the weeds. Has the role of the serve and volley changed? I always love hearing that conversation. But are you someone who's – are you looking for pairings first? Are you looking for the systems first? How do you balance those two things? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, I think ultimately, yeah, I would like to keep the teams the same and um, and just you know limit the, the amount of variables that, sure. that the athletes have to deal with. But ultimately, I do – um, know what I'm, you know, I do know when something is right. I, I, you know, I can't even put my finger on it sometimes, but it's just like when you know, okay, there's just something missing there. Or um, even though you're winning, you know, that's a mistake I think we all make is you're winning. So you're just happy. And, and we try to dig a little deeper and look at it beyond that. Like, how is this, how is our doubles pairings going to help us in the NCAA tournament? That's the way we look at it. And that that really changes your perspective when you look at things that way, in my mind. Um, so yeah, uh, we have we're very systematic. We uh, a lot of times though, you can only play with the athletes you have. Sure. If you have athletes that are are you know that are, that don't serve well, well that takes out serve and volley. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's going to limit what you can do. So. Thankfully, right now, we do have uh, eight players, uh, actually 10 players that are really strong in doubles um, that serve well, return well. So we we do have a lot of options. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's other things too. You know, right now we have a, a doubles team that's ranked four in the country. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the biggest challenge that they're going to they're going to deal with is that um, they're four in the country mm-hmm. and they're going to be thinking about that a lot. And that's not necessarily great. <laughs> so so we're going to have to manage, you know, how much do they play together? Uh, how are they going to deal with that distraction of having such a high ranking? And and how are they going to overcome thinking about their individual success, putting that aside for the team? So, you know, there's there's a just you know, a slew of, of uh, distractions that we got to work through. And, and sometimes that will manifest itself in, in doubles pairings. And that's why you'll change 17 times. Yeah. Well, just remember every time you change this year, that's the number you're searching, you know, you're striving <laughs> towards. It's like, can I hit 18? That would be something yeah. else. Now I'm sure you would be happy with three and riding them out. Uh-huh. And to your point, you know, regardless of the various pairings, there was a clear pathway to success for your team last year. And I know, you know, scheduling wise, you look at your schedule this year compared to the schedule last year, you're going to put your team through an even tougher road this season. But you look at last year's numbers, 19 and six at number one doubles, 18 and seven at number three doubles. You feel pretty good that you're going to get a doubles point. And then, you know, the Mm -hmm. two numbers that stand out, 21 and six at five, 22 and five at six. Mm. How important, or I guess that depth last season, when did you realize you had it and how valuable was it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, your three doubles team, your five and six singles, that really can speak volumes about the quality of your team, you know, um, because everybody, for the most part, has a really strong one and two player, a one doubles team that can really play. But yeah, it's, it's you know, college tennis is all about depth. I mean, th- this would be a you know, completely different sport if our format was, let's say, four singles and one doubles team. This this sport would look completely different. Um, there would be a lot lot more teams winning national championships as uh, if if our format was different. But the way the format is set up, it's it's it rewards the teams with depth. It's that simple. So. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, you know, last year we, we, we had a a exceptional year and our depth was a big part of that, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the players who stood out and out, we'll get to everyone, I promise, but I want to talk about what Paula was able to do last season because she was a sophomore, but like, not really like, yeah, you entered this season for her and it's like the least experienced junior class ever. Because obviously they haven't had a full season yet. And yet, despite that, she's able to go 14-4 and in dual matches and singles last season. And I'm just curious, what clicked for her? And as you look at the lineup this season, obviously you'll be looking for players to jump into that top three slot. And, you know, it really solidify that top of the lineup as well. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you want to see from her to make that next jump? Yeah, um, you know, Paula has been amazing from day one. You know, she came in um, in 2019, which was a real challenging year, but uh, she battled hard. You know, she she came in in the spring and um, we could see then like this is a pretty special player um, who has a, a really high ceiling. So um, she's just grown a lot. And I'd say the biggest change for, for Paula is just her, her perspective. You know, she's gone from being pretty distracted by outcome and pretty you know obsessed with with the results to now way more open to okay i you know i got to improve my serve or you know here's some things that i can do better um and she's just better at reflecting after a loss she like you said she hasn't lost many (laughs) but when she does she's she's doing a better job of stepping away and and looking breaking it down and, and just figuring out okay how can i improve so 
uh, really it's her mindsets improved tremendously and and yeah we we have you know big goals for her um she has she she you know wants to have a a, a really good year and um but the expectation is just to have a great mindset and do the do the you know the the, the hard work every day in practice mm-hmm. and you know again when you look at that at your team this year it's so interesting to see the divide there are a bunch of seniors right and then it feels like a bunch of different freshmen and it'll be interesting to see how that gap gets bridged obviously throughout the year for you and you know helping to do that at the top will be mel will be alicia and obviously they had a fantastic fall as you mentioned they're the number four doubles team in the country what Mm -hmm. clicked for them this year as they you know take on that senior leadership role yeah well for ali um you know, it's just been uh, a process of of kind of like just peeling the onion and sure. just getting to the core. You know, just getting to you know what's the reality of our sport and 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 the process of her figuring out you know who she is and and what does she want to do with her tennis. Um, so it's been so much of it. It has not really had to do with like work ethic. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. She, she is a hard worker. She, she's not afraid to, to get in the weight room and really push herself or get on the court and practice um, for as long as it takes. It was more just the mindset and figuring out her mission. Uh, you know, what, you know, why is she playing? And uh, as you know, um, you know, a lot of athletes struggle with that, you know, are they playing because they just want to win matches or, you know, you know, hold a trophy or doing it for their parents or, so as the more that she's figured out, you know, her true why she's become a better player. And, um, and it's exciting to see, you know, she's, she's got a lot of tennis left in her. And I think I have no doubt this, this is going to be an incredible year for her because she's doing it for the right reasons with the right people and the right way. So I'm excited for her. Um, in regards to, for Mel, you know, Mel, I mean, we all know her junior career was pretty fantastic, um, you know, but she's also battling with expectations. You know, there's when you're a top 30 ITF player in the world, you know, there's there's a lot of people patting you on the back and telling you you're going to be the next great thing. And and then the, re- the reality is you still have to do the work. And, you know, when you go from junior tennis to college tennis, it's a big jump, which I think surprised surprises a lot of the international kids. I think they they are blown away at the level of college tennis. So she's working through that. She's done it really well uh, with that, but it's still going to be an ongoing challenge of, um, you know, what just getting, just putting things in, in the, in um, getting things prioritized the right way sure. and making sure that expectations are things she can control and goals are, are things that are great, but don't turn those into, to expectations. So, we're excited for Mel and, and Allie. They're, they've been a big reason why we are where we are. Yeah, and it's so interesting to hear you talk about development. And again, we had the chance to be down in Baylor. I got to speak with the people who are behind these things. But it strikes me that it feels like you're de- the development you try to strive for with your players, it's not just on the court. It feels like, you know, again, hearing you talk about all these players, there's a big off-court component as well. I'm curious, again, what sort of – because those are things that are so much easier done in person, right? It's a lot easier to have those conversations in, in your office versus via Zoom. I'm curious how that disruption – you know, again, what does it say about the growth of your team and what have you seen their development off the – is that something you stress, that off-court development? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when there was a point where I, I really, you know, it, like, look, we're all, whether you're a coach or an athlete, sure. I mean, you're constantly having to look in the mirror and, and figure out why you're doing this. And, um, and, you know, can you do this better? Can you be uh, less wrong at what you do every day, you know? And, um, and I've gone through that process of looking in the mirror, you know, COVID provided that opportunity for all of us. And one, one of the things that I realized was, you know, at my core, I'm, I'm about relationships and, you know, who I am as a person, um, I'm really about that, that horizontal relationship with the athlete. However, when you start having a lot of success, um, and you know, you start to, you can change if you're not careful and you can start having more vertical relationships. And I think that I struggled with that. Mm -hmm. where, you know, I was a byproduct of having a lot of success early on in my career. And you start becoming this persona instead of, you know, who you are. Um, so when I made that shift to, to really just leaning into the relationship with my, my athletes, um, I think it, it, you know, I, it made it way more enjoyable. I, I knew, understood my, my, my purpose. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that was the biggest thing was just, I had to deal with my stuff. And then that helped me really, um, you know, have better relationship with the athletes and then help them figure out who they are and what they want to do, you know? So it's, it's just a lot of fun. Um, I I'm having more fun coaching than I've ever had before. Um, it's, it's been, you know, I feel rejuvenated and I feel like I could do this for a really long time. You know, my goal is to, to outlast Bill Snyder in football. So <laughs> how about just outlast Woodson? Who's like my age. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's, a, it's a race. That's right. No, I think what Michael's got a, he's going to have a long, long time coaching. So I don't know if I can do that, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Started. Yeah. What is, yeah. It, to your point. Yes, I agree. Uh, yeah. But all right. With all of that said, you know, as we look towards 2022, obviously five freshmen on your roster. And I have to say that they're all five, eight or taller. I like that. Like that is a good, that's, that's a trend. I, and I think that's a trend you see emerging in tennis, but what has this fall been like for your team? And talk to me about this recruiting class. Yeah. Uh, oh, the recruiting class was, uh, was, was terrific. Um, we, we were really excited about all the athletes that we brought in. It was a big class, like you said. Um, and they're, you know, they're just going through that first chapter, you know, where they're, they're, they're getting used to being in a system and being on a team and, um, and just, you know, having, uh, expectations, you know, of being on time and, <laughs> and, and practicing hard when you don't feel it. And, you know, so they're going through that, just that, that really cool time period where, um, they're growing a lot. They're, they're uncomfortable a lot. Um, and, you know, we've all been there and, uh, our older players have helped them with the process and, and have explained to them, this is normal. There's nothing wrong with this. And, um, so they're doing great and, uh, we're excited about the future of, of Baylor tennis. Um, and they have a huge, they're a big part of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, ultimately, uh, you mentioned this earlier, you know, we have, you know, this older group and then we have this really young group. And I would say that's one of the biggest challenges in coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, when you have, you know, it's, it's two different, it's basically two teams yeah. and now you have to find a way to merge them. And we had that back in 2012. And, um, I'm really thankful that we went through that because I've, 
I've really reflected on that year and and looked back at all the mistakes I made. And we're we're definitely doing things very different this time around. So I think that's going to help. Um, you know, during the season, I think that that 2012 experience is going to help us immensely this year. Mm-hmm. When you look at recruiting now and. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, Mel, Alicia, Paula, that's a good core you were bringing back no matter what. And inevitably, you were going to have to refill with freshmen just to get the new class of players on your roster. But, I mean, obviously, you can look at a prominent example right alongside of you on the men's side, the way they've incorporated the plethora of transfers into the program as well. And I'm curious from a recruiting standpoint, how you balance those two things. You know, obviously, bringing in freshmen that you know you're going to have four years to develop in your program with the idea of hey i really need a four i really need a five and right now i feel like i could go find one if i need to how do you balance those two things yeah um well it's a great question i mean it's you know it's so hard to compare um Mm -hmm. program to program you know what what uh Michael's doing on the men's side, it totally makes sense for them right now. And yeah. and sometimes it's just, you, you don't even have a, it's not really, you don't have a choice. It's just kind of what's available to you and, and what's, the, you know, what falls in your lap. So I think they're making the right decisions for their team. You know, for us, um, we're really excited about the freshmen that we've recruited and there's, you know, been a lot of good freshmen um, that that are interested in Baylor. I think Baylor's brand is at an all-time high right now. Um, so, you know, we're going in that direction. You know, for for uh, if, if I wanted to make my life easier, I would definitely <laughs> go go with uh, older players um, because it's just the learning curve is is not as uh, steep. Um, but at the same time, you know, freshmen are are great because if you can get them to buy in. Um, to really, really stick with the process, you know, over four years, when you start getting into that junior and senior year, you, you can have a pretty spectacular player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, looking at your freshmen to get them up to speed, obviously you had the full fall. I'm curious, you know, you guys played, were able to play some pro events and play individual events as well. But, you know, part of this series I've wanted to explore with coaches is what is the role of the fall? How do you coaches view this period of the year? And part of the reason I ask is I do think tennis can go in two directions here. And we saw last fall so many hidden dual matches played by the SEC men. And it feels like that is going to be a trend we see emerging at the same time. You know, individual events for development to let players dream a bit bigger, that has value as well. What do you view the role of the fall as? Yeah, uh, well, I, I think so much of it is just it, it's really up to the athlete, you know, sure. and, the, and it comes down to, you know, sitting down with them and, and kind of going over what they want to achieve. And, um, you know, so if the athlete is talking to you about pro tennis, then you know that you're going to have to play some pro events um, mm-hmm. to let them get their feet wet. You know, um, however, when they can get to the point where it becomes about development and not so much about, you know, how, you know, the how it's just more about, hey, I I really need to improve my serve Mm -hmm. or I really need to, you know, uh, work on my mental game. I do think it now you can as a coach, you can start scheduling. way more strategically and and give them a kind of a blend of, mm-hmm. of pro events college and 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 hidden duels um 
but that's, yeah, like I said, it's so much about, you know, about the athlete and, and the trend that I've seen is, you know, freshmen usually come in, they want to play uh, pro events. Mm-hmm. And at, the longer they're in our program, usually by that junior and senior, senior year, they're way more open to, Hey, coach, you make the schedule. Mm-hmm. You, 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 uh, you know, figure out what you think's best and, and base my training, my lifting, you know, all my conditioning around that. And that's ultimately what I feel like is best when there's way more strategy behind, um, the fall than just, Hey, I, I see a tournament. I want to play it. That usually ends up, ends up being, you know, a lot of burnout and, mm-hmm. um, this, the results are not that great. And, <laughs> But what can you do? You know, it's if the, if they want to play, you're going to have to let them play. I mean, you you know, trial and error. You know, they're going to have yeah. to make mistakes. You you can't you can't really shield them from from that too much when they're when they're young. Yeah, so. and you know, again, it getting and you're talking about the development for these athletes. I know it's an NCAA edict, but the eight hour rule, the 25 competitive dates. Is I it does is that enough? Does that reflect the modern demands of professional tennis and this level of college tennis? And are you put in positions frequently where players are coming to you, hey coach, I would love to get an hour on the court, and you have to say, Look, I can't. We've passed our quota. Yeah. Yeah. It really the rules um you know are, are just not really set up for a sport like tennis. I mean yeah. I think we could uh make a really strong argument that the best athletes in the world are tennis players. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're talking, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we, I, it, it's, it's pretty obvious, you know, as a tennis player, you play all year, you, you're going to have to get in the weight room, get strong. You're going to have to still work your agility. You, you know, your core has to be really incredible. I mean, you have aerobic anaerobic. I mean, it's a crazy sport when you really think about uh, the development and, and, and how important your strength coach, your strength and conditioning coach is to this process. So when you pile on these rules that just make no sense at all and really set up the athlete for failure, because when you go and train eight hours, which no good player is going to do that (laughs) they're they know a serious tennis player is going to be like, this is a joke. We cannot do this. It's eight hours no. of stretching during the yeah, course of the week. Yeah, it's basically, that's it. And yeah. um, so it's it's just at some point we need um, to revisit all of the NCAA rule, rules and regulations. And there has to be a point that these these are expire or there's a there's a like a garbage collection of, of these rules and regulations where we we go you know what this just doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. and it's actually setting up the athletes for failure mm-hmm. um you know the assumption is the coach is mandating these players to go out and practice and do all this and it's like if you recruit the wrong players you're going to have to definitely you know, uh, put pressure on them to, to practice. But if you recruit the right ones, they're going to be begging you to, <laughs> to train more. And and that's the case that, you know, thankfully we have right now at Baylor, you know, we have a lot of serious tennis players. So when, when you tell them the rules, they just, they laugh really. I mean, they, they think it's a joke. 
Yeah, no. It's the idea that you would ever have to be put in a position to tell a player, no, I cannot coach you, that's the antithesis of what college sports is supposed to be about. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's outrageous. It's infuriating yeah. to, to hear yeah. so many coach. I think to a T, every coach has expressed that. And I know the rule is not made for tennis, but you would think in the year of the online era, isn't there a compliance form people could fill out and be like, no, 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 I mean it. Like this is the form saying I mean it. Um, and so it, it is frustrating. Uh, but with the idea of examining some of the rules, regulations, and college tennis in mind, now we get to open it up and uh, really get into this. I'm curious, and I know it's a discussion that's had endlessly, but again, getting back to the role of the fall, that's the individual season, right? We have the regionals. We have the All-Americans. A month later, we have the fall mats, and it's kind of like, didn't we just play that? Uh, but, you know, we do it again. And, you know, to me, if you're going to have an individual season, why not just move the NCAA individual tournament to the fall? Where are you on that topic? Yeah, I, I think ultimately, you know, our sport really needs to think outside the box and, and make make it more valuable to athletic directors. And, and one of the ways to do that is, you know, we basically right now we're, you know, men's and women's tennis is just two sports. Mm-hmm. But if we can find a way to model what track and field's doing, where we have an indoor season, that's an additional sport. We have, you know, what, you know, fall season, that's an additional sport. And if we can really, because like you said, we are doing a lot of events that take a ton of effort and energy and really with, with just some more um, thought and, and we're really good at this. You know, the ITA is really good at putting in NCAA rules that the NCAA hasn't thought of. <laughs> if we can go and put that energy into how do we make our sport more valuable for athletic d- directors? I think that's our top priority right now. Mm-hmm. that's what we should be spending all our all of our energy should be how do we turn two sports into four sports mm-hmm. um and so whatever however that looks like you know sign me up because i think that will ensure that our sport is going to be healthy 10 years from now mm-hmm. if we can just add more value mm-hmm. no it's a discussion again we've i've been so fortunate to have recently with so many coaches for me, the thing I always keep my eye on, and I know it's a pipe dream and a lot of people would have to say yes, but like if the USTA is going to have the burden of college tennis, and it is an international sport now, and I don't mean it in a burden in the bad sense, just they are responsible for it economically, all of these different things. Why not play the NCAA individual tournament that second week of the U.S. Open? Like that is the perfect platform, the perfect spotlight. And I know, again, it requires a lot of coordination. And what I found out in this series, 49.9% of coaches will agree on a lot of things. 50% never going to happen. And so it gets pretty difficult. But I just – if we're not moving the tournament for the sake of, well, that's how we've always done it, that's stupid reasoning. I just – I understand the excitement, the allure, that championship weekend for the team when all the players are filtering in and it's just a really special environment. I get not wanting to lose that. But I do wonder if, you know, again, we're all paying income tax at the end of that NCAA tournament. And thankfully it was in Florida, so it was zero. But, like, I, is that best for the health of the sport? Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, it, we got to think outside the box and and uh, the U.S. Open. I mean, there's no bigger tennis event, you know, in North America. So that would make so much sense to to just uh, tack on the NCAAs. It would bring a ton of exposure to the sport. I think the fans uh, are dying for more content, you know, mm-hmm. when they're at the event and, and potentially maybe, you know, that gets covered by Tennis Channel. I mean, it just makes too much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, I think what we struggle with in our sport uh, in college tennis is we get distracted mm -hmm. and we really focus on things that really don't move the needle whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And that has been uh, our biggest challenge, quite honestly. Um, you know, these fall events and they're great and it's they're a nice little experience for the for the players. But big picture wise, what are they really doing for our sport? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I challenge anybody to, to give us a really good reason. Well, you know, how is it making our sport viable for the future? And I, I can't see it. Yeah, no. Are they marketable properties? I agree with you. Are they blown up enough? And I was talking to Coach Schachterly over at Pepperdine. He always stresses the college golf model, which is look at the integrated rankings they have with the college players, the pro players. And we started spitballing. Well, if you could get the top five players at the end of the year in college, you're guaranteed to play world team tennis. You're guaranteed mm -hmm. X challenger wild cards. The problem is that takes so much coordination, right? And there are all these competing entities that make that so difficult to happen. And to your point, if you think the ITA hasn't thought of these things, of course they have. It's been 50 years of college tennis. Someone has brought this up before. Uh, it's just, you know, again, it's great to get to talk to all of you to hear about that. And so I want to, you know, thought, uh, weed this out a little bit longer because I, I do agree with you. Like, I think college tennis does get distracted. And you talk about, again, how do you make the sport commercially viable the answer is it has to be the integration between the college ranks and the pro ranks, right? That, or that's at least a part of the solution, it yeah. feels like. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that's a brilliant idea. Um, and, and that's what the, the the real serious tennis players that are, are using college tennis as a springboard to the, to the pros, that they would be all about that. And that would give them... I mean, you think of now, you know, just name, image, and likeness. That would yeah. really provide a great opportunity for them to use college... Uh, to really help, uh, you know, in, make their brand stronger. And um, it's a no brainer. It, it, and I know it's hard. I know, like you said, it's, these are not uh, easy uh, things to solve. However, they're necessary. Mm -hmm. we, we have to solve them. We don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if we spent that energy, you know, instead of putting a six month rule in mm -hmm. and some of these things that have, all they've done is hurt our, our game. Like if we can put that energy and now put it into something that, Hey, it's, this will be, you know, this will help our sport stay relevant or be relevant, uh, in 10, 20 years, then it's the right thing to do no matter how hard it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And obviously logistically, I coaches have said it. Well, how do you get players to qualify for a fall NCAA tournament? That brings me to my next thing, rolling rankings. Like I, can it be a 12-month thing? Is that something that would appeal at all to you if it's just, okay, at the end, you know, once the seniors... Well, the issue is if you're a senior who plays your senior spring, what mm -hmm. if I, you know, are we going to rip that NCAA tournament away from you? And a department like Baylor would probably sponsor a senior to come back and play mm -hmm. that last event. But there are other athletic departments that just aren't able to do that sort of thing. That's definitely something you, you worry about logistically. That said, you know, from a rankings perspective... Would you be fine with a 12-month ranking where it's just, hey, once the people graduate, we'll take them out of the list. But other than that, we're going to go all year long because, like, how much value do you really put in the December ITA rankings? Yeah. No, you're right. I, I think our our ranking system is, is unique because there isn't that many uh, – there's not a lot of data that goes in. It's yeah. a, a shorter season than what, what our players are used to. Um, so – I think that would be pretty seamless uh, for our athletes to just, yeah, it's a rolling ranking. It's 12 year, a 12 month. 
and they they understand that that's normal for them you know I, I probably the only challenge will be you know how do you get the ncaa to sign off on that but um but i don't Leave know that if for big brains <laughs> yeah i don't know i but uh, you know i'm not sure I, I don't know how much uh you know how much they would get involved if the ita was to sponsor something like that i mean we have a summer circuit yeah so uh, there there there's so many things already in place but no i i totally agree i think these are the type of things that we just really need to spend our energy on and 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 start negotiating our future from a position of strength Mm-hmm. Instead of trying to water down the sport and, um, and 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 negotiate from a position of weakness. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you because I'm a believer in the product. And I read a study for NCAA non-revenue sports that tennis has the highest retention rate amongst fans. If you come to a tennis match, you are more likely to come back mm-hmm. to a second tennis match than you are any other non-revenue sport. And there's something there. And, you know, again, with that in mind... I, I'm going to get funky f- with you here. I want to talk about the product itself. Let's just start, you know, again. And by the way, shout out, I'm looking here through the resume, South Alabama National Clay Court Championships. Would I watch a clay court championship? I mean, we didn't get to watch the All-American Clay Court Championship, but I feel like that must have been pretty cool. Um, it, interesting if that would come back. But, you know, again, looking at that more broadly and the changes, let's just start. No ad scoring. Has it grown on you? I do think that sudden death element has added something to the game yeah no i love it i i think it's been a great addition to the game um yeah it just uh you know eyeballs are on that point i mean that's you know for sure and and i think from a coaching perspective you know it's uh it's it's made it easier to coach the game and in, in in the fact that you can go and and reflect on those points and really get an idea of, of what happened during the match so um yeah, I think it's been great for the sport. That has been a real positive change for sure. Mm -hmm. One thing I am worried about though, is that lull between doubles and the, really the end of the first set, because I've said Mm -hmm. it before, the 40 minutes of the doubles point is the best thing in all of tennis. It's the best Mm -hmm. property in my opinion. It's Russian roulette. It's a rat race. Every point matters. The energy, it's a sprint. It's just phenomenal. That said, yeah, you'll feed us with pizza. You'll do what you can keep us engaged, of course, but really till the end of the first sets, and honestly, maybe sometimes a bit after that, there's a lull. And I'm curious if you feel that lull, if you're concerned about it at all. Yeah. No, I, I think that you're, you're spot on. That That's a challenge that we have. We're, we're putting such a great product to start the match, and then we're giving everybody an opportunity to leave. Um, yeah. And, you know, you just can't do that, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, I think a, a better format and I know no one wants to hear about format because we've, we've, we've tinkered with formats so much, but I do think it's, it's like the 17 doubles combinations. If it's not right, you're going to have to, you're going to have to keep looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think a better format is to, to play, you know, uh, doubles with four singles mm-hmm. and uh, have them all going on at the same time and don't give anybody an opportunity to leave. If the, you know, there's a doubles point for those, those doubles enthusiasts that love to, to watch doubles. And then there's these, these incredible singles matches. And I think the quality of the tennis around the country is going to really, really improve because there are really good players that maybe can't help you in singles, but they can really play doubles mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. So it would just make a lot of sense from, uh, you know, the managing of the team, you know, right now we have in, on the women's side, not speaking for the men on the women's side, we have 
way too many players playing for the amount of players we have on the roster. Mm -hmm. So by the end of the season, every coach is in this situation where they don't know, you know, if they can get their six, their top six playing. They're not sure if they can pull that off because of injuries and, and, you know, maybe a player transfers mid-year. There's all, you know, there's so many variables with a two player bench. How do you do it? And I would say that's something that we haven't thought enough about just how does a coach get through a season or 20 seasons with a format that's set up really to, 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 I mean, you can't really build a culture with the format the way it is. It's very difficult. The players all know they're going to play, you know, you're not going to be able to put somebody and say, Hey, the bench is going to teach you, you know, teach you to, to be more disciplined or whatever. I mean, it's, you know, John Wooden would never sign up for this. I mean, <laughs> so no, so I, I, you, I was going to say you beat me to it first of all, and you want to know who likes to talk about format. He's got two thumbs and he's on this podcast. Um, yeah, I simultaneous. So uh, there are two options, I think, and we can start with simultaneous start and what that offers up. And you talk about it making one doubles flight, four singles flights. Everything's worth one. I agree mm-hmm. with you. As soon as doubles ends, well, now we're still going with singles and we're probably through first sets and now things are really heating up or we're at the end of mm-hmm. first sets and there's just all of this energy right there. At mm-hmm. the same time, it also opens things up for things like substitutions and how many times have coaches been in a position where they're just like, I shouldn't have played this lineup. I'm, I got to make the change or just the oh. idea of having someone in the closer role and the excitement mm-hmm. that can bring for the fans. Mm-hmm. Does that compromise the development aspect of the sport too much by incorporating those things? Not at all. No, mm-hmm. not at all. I mean, it, it, I think for the players, it helps them to, to really be present. Okay. Because like they, they're, they're going to have to really be they, – they're going to – the mental readiness with a format where you could potentially get uh, substituted in and out – creates every everybody's going to have no understands okay the sense of urgency that i have to be ready to play mm-hmm. and right now it is hard to it's i'm not saying it, it doesn't happen obviously it happens but it's harder because players know they're going to play mm-hmm. our you know right now our top eight players know or i mean our eight you know uh understand they're playing mm-hmm. they're going to play uh you know 15 to 20 matches this spring. They know it. You know, our kids at nine and 10, they probably are like, I'm not sure if I'm going to get as much playing time. Mm-hmm. But if you change that format, the, you know, the, from a culture standpoint, the athletes know I'm going to have to earn my spot. And then when they're on match day, they're going to have to know, Hey, I have to be really present here or I might get pulled. Mm-hmm. That, how is that a bad thing for an athlete to be more mindful and be more aware of of their their performance and their focus. I, it's not a bad thing. I'm you know, pulling this have... clip. I just want you to know when we post this interview, that will be the clip because I could <laughs> not agree with you more. That's like it's brilliantly put, and I will be stealing that moving forward. I agree. Mm-hmm. The idea of having to stay because how many times do you check out for 15 minutes in a match and knowing that I could be substituted out, knowing mm-hmm. you know again that. There's that additional layer of pressure while performing. I do think that's a net benefit for these athletes. So very hard to disagree. I like I I just think that's the logical case for why it would be exciting. The other solution, what if we just go back to playing double second and we make all of the doubles flights worth one point? And so you're playing, you know, best of nine instead of best of uh, seven. Mm-hmm. 
a rat race down the finish. Now, again, you're keeping it. That's still we're at the three-hour mark instead of that two-hour mark, which is where everything wants to be. Mm-hmm. But I also see some appeal in that as well. Yeah. I would be open to it as long as we 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 just have less less players playing. Sure. You know, I, we, we need more players to uh, to to be on the bench. Um, and I know that's not popular, you know, yeah. no, no athlete's going to be like, Oh man, that's, that's great. It, yeah. But the reality is it, it, it will really help in their development and it will really help um, in regards to injuries, like things like, I mean, you got to, in our sport, you don't really have a choice when you're in season, you got to play through everything now. Um, and it, that that's not great for the athletes. And what's, what's the alternative. We don't, we don't push athletes to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the season, um, you know, your AD is not going to understand why you had a subpar year. They don't really, you know, the, and it's not their job to know the difference between women's tennis and men's tennis and basketball. I mean, that's not really, they, that's, they don't have to get in the weeds in that, but the reality is we're setting ourselves up for, for, for very challenging situations uh, moving forward with the climate in, in college athletics, the way it is in a sport where two players are on the bench, it does not make sense for the future of coaching this sport. You know, um, yeah. it, things have really changed in that regard. Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating to hear. And so, again, these are all things to monitor. Now, last two format for you, and again, home stretch of questions here, but uh, some fun, you know, lawless lineups. So obviously there's lineup chicanery from every coach. That's half the fun, and that's what makes it fun for us fans as well. But to really double down on the parody, mm-hmm. away team submits the lineup, home team matches up however they'd like. Yes or no? I'm okay with it. Yeah. I, 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 I like it. Yeah, ultimately the players play, Yeah, and, um, and I do feel like uh, you have to give uh, – you know, we have – 300 plus uh, division one women's tennis programs. Mm-hmm. The talent is really spread out. The, you know, it's the, the, the blue bloods have a ton of, ton of talent, you know, mm-hmm. endless amount of talent on their rosters. And then everyone else is kind of in the middle. Um, so you have to find a way as a coach, you have to, there has to be ways that you can compete Mm-hmm. And the more rules and, and the more we just make it so structured, it makes it really difficult to coach your team. Um, and yeah. And then, you know, we, we, we put this label on it that it's uh, unsportsmanlike or <laughs> no, it's, it's coaching your team. It's figuring out how to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm all for less regulation and give, give every school a chance. You know, that might mean that Baylor loses to, you know, North Texas, yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, that's fine. Um, I got to do a better job coaching if that happens. Yeah. No, I love it. Well, with that said, last format one for you, coin toss, wasted opportunity. Let's get rid of it. One point, head coach versus head coach, drop and hit, winner decides the serving arrangements. Uh, very entertaining idea. Never going to pass. Um, you don't want to see that chip in charge. It's who can get to the net first. It's going to be delight. <laughs> None of you are hitting a passing shot. So. No, that's for sure. Yeah, so that would be delightful. I'd also do rock, paper, scissors just to see the meeting where it's like, <laughs> look, 
it's 40% paper. Like that's the play. We have to do that across courts. And so that's, but those are just little things for me. Um, You know, you talk about the scheduling and uh, looking at your schedule this year, you guys are playing Texas again, not just the conference match. You guys have Florida, a bunch of tough matchups on your team, obviously hosting kickoff weekend as well. Uh, Miami, USC, Kansas, all coming to town. Should the 500 rule go away permanently? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. It's it that that rule is absolutely terrible for our sport. Mm-hmm. And you know, I ask because look, you've coached at South Alabama, you've coached at not Baylor, which mm-hmm. you guys don't have to worry about the 500 rule, right? But that just for our listeners, for the context, that's who it's protecting to ensure mm-hmm. conference champ or one lost team in the MAC doesn't get screwed out by a 11 and 16 Arkansas team, right? Like that's who the rule is meant to prevent. But does it actually do that? Yeah, I think ultimately it's really changed the way we schedule. Even mm-hmm. even the Blue Bloods, um, you know, I think they're they're aware of of the you know that because going back to, you know, you know you have two players on the bench, you know that there's a lot of things out of your control. You, you can you can go on a losing skid really quickly. Um, the parodies is is unbelievable right now. So the 500 rule just doesn't make sense in a sport like like ours. Uh, because of of those things and on top of it it's not really the reality of what we're preparing these players for at the next level the next level they're trying to get 500 if they can get on the tour and be 500 they're 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 making money they're doing great um so it's just it just doesn't make sense um i think you know if we got rid of that tomorrow our baylor's schedule would would be even tougher mm-hmm yeah. Um, and if and if you look at the history of our scheduling here, you know we still schedule incredibly uh, challenging uh, schedule. But there have been a couple of years where some things didn't go our way, and we were right on the right on the edge. And that you know that really scared me. I mean, quite mm-hmm. honestly, it scared me because I'm thinking we're not we're a top twenty five team. We're not going to make the tournament. <laughs> yeah. You know. So so anyway, it goes back to we we have to revisit. Uh, some of these rules that we've uh, we've experimented with and and now ask the question is it is it right for our sport Mm -hmm. i completely agree with you all right fun ones down the home stretch 08 versus uh verse 11 who wins 08 yeah how good was if you could re-coach any match in your career would it be 08 semifinals yes yeah for sure I, i mean really what i would have done differently um we had an athlete that um just just had was dealing with a lot of nerves and and didn't didn't really eat much uh mm-hmm. at breakfast and and if i had to do it all over again instead of watching film instead of being in, in a coach's meeting i would have been at breakfast making sure she was eating so um that's definitely a year that we would you know or a particular day we would like to have a a mulligan on it's crazy that you remember that fine of a detail and that just speaks to this industry coaching and what that life is like but you mentioned this earlier and i wanted to circle back on it you had a ton of success right away in your career and obviously that's a time men's teams also firing on all cylinders and baylor tennis is just at the forefront of college tennis how does that success shape the coach you are now yeah um uh, you know, gosh, I don't want to save wanna... the juicy one for the end. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, ultimately, I mean, you know, I look back at it and, uh, you know, have a lot of positive memories. Um, 
But at the same time, I, I look back at it and I'm, I'm really hard on myself. Uh, you know, I, I, there was, there would, I would do things differently. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think I'm a thousand times better coach, better person now uh, than I was at that time. Um, and I hope it will show on the scoreboard. You know, I hope that that'll happen uh, for, for our athletes. It's not, you know, it's not really, not about me. It's about the athletes. And I think uh, that will be the irony uh, is that you can get way better at something and, and, you know, just be better prepared for it and then ultimately not have the same success. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it turns out, but, but uh, no, it's, I'm very fortunate and grateful, uh, you know, it, and it takes a team to have that kind of success. I mean, I had incredible athletes, uh, Lenka Brusova, who's, who's our associate head coach was a huge part of, of that team and assistant coaches and strength coaches. And, um, so I look back and, and at the time I was a young, just young buck. And I was just <laughs> thought, Hey, I'm going to, you know, win a national title by the time I'm 30, you know, stuff like that. And, and now I look back and go, man, I was lucky that I had these amazing people helping me look really good. Um, so yeah, just positive memories, but definitely some, some things I would do better next time. Yeah. No, again, I'm looking at these rosters and yeah, just incredible talent across the board. I mean, with that said, depth in the Big 12 now. I mean, it's not just you guys. Texas coming off of a national title. What Texas Tech has done these past 10 years. And Iowa State has a fantastic fall. Audra Cohen's building something special at Oklahoma. Is the depth now in the Big 12? I mean, that's got to be better for your program, though, right? Even if it's a little harder? Oh, yeah. No, it's amazing. It's uh, It says a lot about... Um, the athletic de departments in the Big 12 and the commitment they made to tennis. You know, I, I've seen a complete uh, overhaul of the entire league and um, the coaches are second to none. I, I honestly believe that our, from top to bottom, we have the best coaches. Um, and it's a really become a 4-3 league. Uh, every match is going to pretty much come down to, uh, you know, either going to win 4-3 or going to lose 4-3. So it's it reminds me a lot of the NFL it's mm -hmm. basically it's a field goal league and and that's how i feel about the big 12 so you got to be really ready to play and and that's i love it that way i mean that's my thing you know i take a lot of pride in the details so um i think it's a lot of fun to coach in the big 12 i forgot to offer this as a rule change you get one 90 second timeout where you can just say bring the whole team in let's <laughs> stop all matches let's chat let's go Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's the one thing from this series. If I could get coaches to agree to, they'd be like, no doubt. Give us the 90-second timeout. Um, so I'll sure. keep working on that. Well, my last thing for you, and again, I had the chance to go down to Waco, and I get it. But I'll give you – I'm, you know, so I guess that's an endorsement from here. I would say that about a lot of schools, though, let me be clear. But give me the pitch. Why should I come down to Baylor? Why should I become a Bear? Well, it's it's an amazing university as you as you saw firsthand. Mm -hmm. um, it's the campus is absolutely beautiful. It's uh, uh, it's a place that you know when you wake up every day, you're seeing green everywhere. You're seeing trees. You're seeing like you know a creek running through campus. Um, it, it's just a beautiful environment, and I think that's a part of this. You know, uh, your environment can really uh, affect your happiness. So Baylor is a beautiful school. Obviously, with tennis, uh, our facilities are second to none. Um, you know, we were ranked, I think, the, the top tennis uh, facility in, in college tennis in 2015. And I don't think anything's changed. It's it's the Wimbledon of college tennis, in my opinion. 
And then the most important thing is just the people. Um, you know, our, our staff, our performance team that works with the athletes, um, they're really about helping the athlete through these, these three key parts of their life, which is one, figuring out who they are, two, you know, what do they want to achieve? What's, how are they going to be fulfilled? And then three, how are they going to get there? And our entire staff is all about that. So it's a special place to, to be an athlete, uh, especially a tennis player. And, um, you know, every time we, we, a, a parent or parents send their child to Baylor, we take that responsibility really seriously. So it's important for us that, that we do it the right way. Without disparaging past sponsors, it's gotta be nice to have that Nike check on the chest now too, oh. right? Man, it's it's amazing. I, that's one of the things that an athlete will light up when we when we mm -hmm. talk to them that hey, we're with a Nike school and um, without fail, they're all excited about that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and obviously NCAA tournament coming back to town. I believe pretty. Mm -hmm. What was that? Twenty four, twenty five. 25 yeah 25 mm -hmm. there it is so again i'm sure i will be back down to waco before then but uh very much looking forward to that and again always appreciative of your programs just tolerance of all of our nonsense here so it was great <laughs> to finally get you on the show coach wishing you and your team safety success health happy holidays obviously to you all as well and yeah spot is always open for you should you want to return Alex, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. And I, I greatly appreciate what you do for college tennis and, and how much energy you put into it. Um, it's people like you that are really making a difference for this sport. So thanks so much. I appreciate those that can't play cover it. So, you know, we do what we can. But, Coach, thank you so much. I'm not going to say sick em, but you know what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, so take care, Coach. All right. Thanks, Alex.